Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to church. Great to see you. You are so energetic and happy this morning. You must have stopped at Starbucks for a red eye. That's a coffee with a shot of espresso, for those of you that don't know. But uh, thanks for being so friendly to your neighbors. I was joking with my friends up here about how energetic you felt this morning. And someone said, don't worry, announcements will put them back to sleep. You weren't supposed to laugh at that. But anyways, welcome. It's so great to see you this morning. My name's Otto Ramos. I'm one of the pastors on staff. And if this is one of your first times joining us, uh, you, we'd love for you to communicate with us. And the way that you do that is by taking one of those communication cards that you can find on the seat back in front of you. If you'd be so kind to fill that out and stop by our Welcome Center afterwards and drop that off. We have a free gift for you just for joining us this morning. And then I will personally connect with you sometime this week. For those of you joining us online, we invite you to go to our website at vlchurch.com and click on that banner that says, Are You New Here? Complete that form and I will connect with you sometime this week. But indeed, thank you for joining us as well. I do have a few announcements for you this morning. Uh, the first of which is that we will be having Christmas Eve services. The only minor change this year is that they will happen during our normal hours on Sunday because Christmas Eve happens to be on Sunday, Sunday, December 24th. That's two weeks from today. So we invite you to join us. It will indeed be a candlelight service in the morning hours at 9.30 a.m. and at 11 a.m. And so the little ones will stay in here with us. They won't depart for Children's Church down the way. It is a family-oriented service, and so we're really excited about that. And uh, we encourage you to invite family and friends. It's going to be a very meaningful service and worship time together. Also, I do want to make mention of the fact that we're having a Christmas event for women uh, this next Saturday. It's a Christmas tea for our Victory Life Church women. Bring a friend as well. Um, the event will consist of brunch, tea and coffee, wassail. Did I say that right? My wife tells me I say it wrongly. Did I say it right? Give me a thumbs up if I said it correctly. Thank you so much. That makes my day. Uh, there's going to be wassail, not wassail, uh, the way that I used to say it in the past. Competitive games and a mug exchange. Uh, my directions are to tell you, for those of you that want to attend, please bring a mug filled with goodies um, to exchange. If you can't bring one, we'll have a few extra on hand. You probably saw an email come out about this event sometime in the last few days. Uh, you can sign up on Planning Center. If you don't use technology like that, just call the church office and let Stephanie know that you'd like to attend. But indeed, um, it's going to be a great event this coming Saturday. Last but not least, I do want to make mention of the fact that during this time of giving, uh, you will have opportunities to give to some of our mission work that's going on around the world. Our missions director, Bill Anderson, will be out in the, welcome, uh, in the uh, foyer area. And uh, we have a few folks that you can give to uh, who are in the Horn of Africa and also the Nana's House in Mexico. They're both happily receiving gifts during this Christmas time. So see Bill Anderson afterwards if you'd like to give to those missions and ministries uh, during this time of Christmas. Well, if you've come this morning to worship the Lord Jesus with your tithes and offerings, you can give online, you can give via text, or you can give as you exit the sanctuary this morning. But indeed, thank you for worshiping the Lord Jesus with your tithes and offerings today. I can I ask you to stand this morning? And as you stand, let's bow for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we've come to worship you this morning. We ask that as we do this, that you would fill this place with your presence. May each person in this room, both young and old and everything in between, may they know that you are real, that you are personal, that you want to make a connection with them today 
And so as we enter into this time to worship you and to give you honor and glory, I pray that you would connect with each individual here today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's just worship this morning. We put our hands together.
sent Jesus to this earth to save this world. And that's who we're going to continue singing about this morning. So let's worship him together now.
Bellflowers or marigolds? What will make for the perfect wedding atmosphere? Oh, why not both? I'm sure Joseph will be thrilled. Greetings, you who are highly favored of the Lord. Huh? Oh, I better turn it down. No, do not be afraid. God has great plans for you. In fact, you are going to be the mother of the apostles. In fact, you will be carrying in your room until the end of the week. Oh, wow, but uh, might you see, my wedding to Joseph isn't until a year from now, so we might have to adjust the plan a bit. No worries. The Holy Spirit will deliver those down, what do you, what do you, what do you call them? Miraculously? What do you think? What do I think? What do I think? I think about a lot of things. This will take some time to process. But if the Lord wants to me to be a part of his plan, let it be to me as he has spoken. Oh, great. I was wondering how you're going to react. I hope Joseph takes this well. Well, bye now. The Lord magnifies my soul, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked upon his favor and the loneliness of his servant. The mighty one has done great things for me in his holy name. Greetings, Joseph. There is no easy way of saying this, so hear me out. Nurse Bender. I bet I'll take it better while I say it. 
true? It's true. Okay? Okay. Well, thank you to Mary, Joseph, and Gabriel for reminding us that it is the season to be available and obedient to God. Young disciples, you may be dismissed at this time to head on down the hall. Older disciples, you get to hang out with me. Hi, I'm Pastor Matt. If you're new here, we're so glad that you're worshiping with us this Christmas season, and we thank our kids' drama department for doing a great job getting us ready to see what we're going to look at in the scripture today. If you have your Bibles... We're going to be talking about the story of Mary and Joseph and how they were available to God in spite of some pretty uphill circumstances and obedient to his word. So if you have them, turn in them, please, to Luke chapter 1, and then about halfway through, we're going to go over to Matthew chapter 1, and we're going to see the story from both Mary and Joseph's perspective today. Recently, I ran into my elementary school gym teacher. This guy was great. He taught us all types of things about sports, even the sports we didn't like he made fun. But the best part about him was every day at recess, he would be all-day quarterback for a touch football game that was just incredible. He wanted to be part of this game, and especially as you got into your older years, your third, fourth, and fifth grade years, you wanted to be part of this game. But you learned some things if you wanted to get in the game right when you got into third grade. You could not waste time eating lunch. You had to get out in line to get picked. So you got to eat as quick as you can. No bathroom break between a lunch and recess. You had to head outside immediately and get on the sidewalk if you wanted to get in the game. And it was really tough for the third graders to get into the game because there was only so many kids that were allowed to play each day. So the fourth and fifth graders would pick all each other, and maybe, maybe there was one or two spots for a third grader left. And if you did become that third grader who got picked and got to play in the game, you weren't going out for passes. Oh, no. You were playing the offensive line because you're a third grader and you obey the fourth and fifth graders or else. If you were on defense, you played the defensive line and you say, well, that might be fun. You could chase the quarterback. Try being a third grader attempting to sack a grown man. It just doesn't happen because the, the, the gym teacher was all day quarterback. So, so if you got into the game at all, you had to obey the fourth and fifth graders or else you, you, you found yourself not getting picked the next week. Some of these third graders, they never learned. They had to play wide receiver. They had to play cornerback. They had to play linebacker. So they would just complain and complain and complain and complain the entire game. They would just keep going on and on and on. Well, they wouldn't get picked anymore. Well, I didn't have any problem with that. I was a middle child. I'm used to keeping my mouth shut. So you know what I did? I got in there, and I played offensive line, and I played defensive line. But I got in the game over and over and over again. Now, sometimes I needed to go to the bathroom, but I just ignored that. Sometimes I had to leave a little bit of my lunch uneaten, and I had to ignore that too. But, but I got in the game, and I, I kept my mouth shut. And you know what was great? Eventually, as the year went on, I'd look at some of the fourth or fifth graders and say, hey, you care if I go out for a couple of passes? And they'd say yes. Or I'd say, do you mind playing defensive line so I can go play linebacker for a minute? They, yes. You just had to be available, and you had to obey, and then you could get in the game. That's what Mary and Joseph really denote for us. They were people who were available to the plan of God, even though the circumstances were not great. Nobody would have chosen to do it this way from a human perspective. 
No, no, no man and woman would have chosen this set of circumstances in order to be part of God's plan. Yet they became part of God's plan, and they became part of holy history. And that's the calling for each and every one of us, to be part of God's holy history. You might say, oh, no, Pastor Matt, we're, we're not supposed to be part of God's holy history. We're just supposed to read about it and, and think, what a nice story. Au contraire, mon frere. Ephesians 2.10 says, you are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for you to do. You have a role to play. You have tasks to perform while on this earth. But if we're constantly standing on the sidelines waiting for things to be optimal, we're not going to get into the game. If we don't make ourselves available to God when it's inconvenient, that we're not going to be able to do the things that God calls us to. Mary and Joseph have so much to teach us today if we want to make an effect for God while on this earth. If we want to just live life, well, all of us are here, so congratulations, you're living. But if any of us want to make a difference for God, we have to ask ourselves the question, am I available, am I obedient, and is my mind in the right place to be available, and is my heart in the right place to be obedient? Mary and Joseph have a lot to teach us today. Let's read their stories. Chapter 1 of Luke, verse 26, gives us the story of Mary. Not an optimal story by human standards, but a perfect story by God's. Verse 26 says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. A miracle. And therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing is impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Oh, one of the most beautiful, famous, and fabulous stories in all of Scripture. Luke was writing to a first century world that wanted to know the origin story of Jesus. These were people that wanted to know the background. We often watch movies or read books, and we're like, we wish we would have known what happened before, and then somebody in Hollywood makes a prequel, and then we wish we hadn't wanted to know what took place before. But in this particular case, the prequel is just wonderful. Matthew and Mark have probably already been written, and Matthew's very succinct in what it talks about the birth of Jesus. Luke goes back, he researches the story, he wants to tell us the origin of Jesus. I would imagine the first readers were wanting to know Mary's pedigree wanting to know just how awesome she was, all the things that put her in line to be the mother of the Savior. What is it that allows her to be so special, so highly favored? Luke's going to answer those questions for us here by not answering those questions. 
I say that because so much here in context just shows us that Mary is quite ordinary and becomes extraordinary. That's what happens here. There's no background story about how awesome Mary is. There's just Mary in this situation. Now, what Mary says and what Mary does, that's the incredible part. But Mary kind of reminds us a little bit of Abraham before her. Who was Abraham that he gets to be the father of this whole story? I love what Deuteronomy 26 says about Abraham. God doesn't want his people of Israel to have too much pride. So he says, remind yourselves regularly that your father was a wandering Aramean. The idea was, don't take any pride in your heritage, your lineage, your pedigree. That's not what you take pride in. You take pride in the fact that God allows you to be part of his story. So Mary, just like Abraham, doesn't come from some background that makes us go, wow, what pedigree, what a story. No, it's the simplicity of her faith that is to be lauded, the simplicity of her belief that is to be an encouragement to us. After all, who was Israel, a nation of slaves? God could have chosen the Egyptians or the Babylonians or the Hittites to be his people. No, he chooses ordinary people in ordinary circumstances to be his people. This is in stark relief if you read the entire chapter of Luke. And if you were to read just prior to this particular part that we read this morning, you would read the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth and their eventual child, John the Baptist. Zechariah is a priest, and the angel talks to him in the temple. And that temple is in... Jerusalem. So we're at the very center of one what, where one might expect the story of the Messiah to take place, in the city of David, in the temple of God with a priest. Yet here we are in Nazareth, in Galilee. Go find them on a map, right? In fact, one guy in the Bible, Nathaniel, in the book of John says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? So apparently Nazareth was kind of like fill in the city that you don't like going to. Right? So here we are, temple, Jerusalem, priesthood. And then we're removed 100 miles north to a young lady betrothed in Nazareth, in Galilee, who needs no introduction. Because it's what she does once God picks her that really matters. And the message that the angel gives to Mary is massive. You are to bear a son. You are to name him Jesus, and that's where the ordinary things stop. Yeshua was a normal name in first century Israel. It did mean Yahweh saves. The proper name of our God is Yahweh. But when she says, and he will be son of the Most High, that's the jaw-dropping moment. There is no expectation at this point that God is going to come in the flesh and that God is going to dwell with human beings and there's certainly no expectation for any woman on the planet that she will bear God's son in her womb. But that's what the angel tells her. He will be son of the Most High. Now, thank God the angel gives her a little bit more context by then saying, oh, and he will reign over the household of his father, David. Now, that might be expected because the Jewish people accept, expected a Messiah. They expected a Savior. They expected someone to come and change things and make all things new. But the idea that this would be the Son of God, that's novel information. Not only that, but the angel speaks to the eternality of the baby that's going to come into her womb. Now, the only sure things that we have in life are death and taxes. And so when a baby, when an angel looks at, 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 at Mary and says, you're going to bear a child, but this child is going to live and reign forever and eternally, she, she's also receiving new information. Not only this is going to be the Son of God, 
but this son of God is somehow going to defeat death. Now, this is not an easy pill to swallow. I mean, I get news all the time from my children, who which I reply, seriously? Like, what? No. No. Last night I heard, Dad, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And I'm like, someone's dying. So I, I ran to the kitchen, and one of the kids had pulled the nozzle right off of the spigot. And so water's spraying throughout the kitchen. Not what I expected, right? We get messages we don't expect. Oh, you've got to be kidding me. Seriously, this message is so, in human term, bombastic as to, as to not be believed. Mary receives this message that she is going to bear a Messiah that's unlike the Messiah she expects. In fact, I was reading one scholar this week that really helped me. He said the Jewish concept of the Messiah to this point in history was kind of like the Jewish concept of a judge of the Old Testament. The person would come, they'd be a strong warrior, they'd give a good right cross to the Roman Empire, they would reestablish Israel's borders, they would reestablish the monarchy, and have a real love for the priesthood in Jerusalem, and they'd be a righteous kingdom, and, and here we are, we're a, we're a nation again. The expectation that she's going to bear the Son of God, and that's what the Messiah's going to be like, and he's going to defeat death, that, that there's just no context for this. Yet Mary's question is not about the message of the angel. Mary's question is about the modality of this birth. See, Mary doesn't know how she's going to bear a son when she knows that she cannot be a candidate for bearing a son. She says, how can this be? I am a virgin. Good job on Mary's parents. They'd had the talk, and they'd been successful. She realizes that she can't be pregnant. And then the angel says to her one of the most beautiful, powerful things in Scripture, that the Holy Spirit will descend and that the power of the Most High will overshadow. Now that language is the type of language that's used when God comes and fills his temple with his glory. See, the angel's going to great lengths to let Mary know this child's going to be holy, therefore nothing of a sexual nature is going to take place here. This is going to be a miracle. The child will be called holy. There's going to be no doubt that he's the Son of God when he lives his life but I need you to have no doubt that he's the son of God as he is conceived. And therefore, nothing of a sexual nature is taking place. Now, that's very important to a Greco-Roman audience who's reading Luke's manuscript here because that's not like the gods of the Greeks and the Romans. In fact, I was helping my son with a Greek project recently, and I was reading about the god that he was presenting and found out that that god was nothing but an insatiable rapist. So the Greco-Roman concept of god were these were these beings who took advantage of human beings in every way, shape, and form in order to exploit them. But the story of the Messiah is not a story of exploitation. The story of the Messiah is not a story about how God is going to impose his will. In fact, Mary, even in this story, has a choice. The fact that she gets to say, I am the servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word, that's the moment of choice. Even the miracle that's going to take place to put the second person of the Trinity in her womb is a choice for her. She doesn't have to say sure. But the beautiful thing about this story is that Mary says what? I'm in. I'm in. I'm a servant of the Lord. That's what I'm on this planet to do, to serve the Lord. Therefore, let it be to me according to your word. How do you get there? How do you become available to God on that level that you can get such a massive message and receive it and act upon it? I think the whole, whole concept has to do with favor. 
I mean, that's the repeated word here in the passage. The angel greets her as the favored one and then repeats to her, you are highly favored. Now, I don't want you to put on your faith-filled spiritual cap for a minute. I just want you for a second to put on your I'm a human and I like things to be easy cap for a minute. Does this look like the favor of the Lord? I mean, most of us think the favor of the Lord are what? Health, wealth, ease of life, and a good name, properly attested to by all our posts on social media. People know we're awesome, right? That's all we want in life. Health, wealth, a good name, ease of life. We want things to be easy. We might want some other things, maybe for our children if we have them. But other than that, we're pretty simple creatures. Most of our prayers go up to heaven. Make me healthy again. Help me out financially. This really stinks. Could you help me with this? Oh, and by the way, somebody thinks ill of me, and that really stinks. Can you fix that situation? If this is the favor of the Lord, and Mary's got her just human cap on, She's going to look at the angel and say, you ain't doing me no favors. None of this is a favor to me. Because in real life, this is going to have a very high cost. First and foremost, just the physical cost of this. Now, I've never been pregnant. And I'm a firm believer men don't get pregnant because God knows we couldn't handle it. The physical cost of this is massive. She's a young girl who one day is preparing for her marriage And the next day, there's going to be a baby in her womb. Like, this is an imminent pregnancy. Like, today or tomorrow, this is going to happen. Not six months from now or sometime down the road at just the right moment. Now, immediacy, it's going to happen. And this pregnancy is going to turn her life upside down because she does have a fiancé, one who she is betrothed to one whom is just waiting to bring her into her household according to Jewish custom, and somehow he's going to find out that she she is with child before they've ever come together. So now there is no guarantee of ever getting married. Not just ever getting married to Joseph, ever getting married at all. Mary's going to have the scarlet letter. She's going to become a social pariah. And I don't need to elaborate for you what would happen to a woman in these circumstances at that time in history to have a baby in this type of circumstance. But it's not good how you try to survive if you're in this particular situation. Yet the angel says, this is the favor of the Lord. So what's the favor? What favor is the angel doing here? Mary's got to be playing with a different deck of cards than you and I. She's got to be on a different playing field than you or I. And she is. Because she knows what the favor of the Lord truly is. Skip down to what has become known in history as the Magnificat, verse 47. Mary knows what true blessing and favor is. She says in verse 47, My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked upon the humble estate of his servant, and for behold, now on, All generations will call me blessed. Mary knows what the favor of the Lord is. The favor of the Lord is not health or wealth. It's not a good name or ease of life. The favor of the Lord is being able to do the will of God. Joining holy history. Being able to be used by the one that 
put her on the planet for the purposes for which he placed her there. Oftentimes, when I'm doing a celebration of life or a funeral, Christian families will say, Pastor Matt, will you share the good news of Jesus? Will you share the gospel? Well, of course, I'd be happy to do that. I mean, what, what greater task can we, can we assume on earth than to share what Jesus has done? But I recognize if I'm in a mixed crowd of people, there might be some Christians, but there's also atheists and agnostics and people who have no concept of the Bible because they didn't go to church growing up. So presenting the gospel, I mean, that's, that's a big task. If they're not a theist, it's an even greater task. And I can't necessarily argue theism or atheism while giving a 10-minute funeral sermon. So I'll appeal to the agnostics. I'll go one level down. Those who say they can't know anything about God's purposes. And I'll say something to this effect. Well, you believe in God, and therefore it stands to reason that God put you here with a purpose. And if he put you here with a purpose then it might be incumbent upon you to find out what it is. I mean, you could be an accident, but I don't think you want to think that way. I don't think God makes accidents. He put you here for a reason. Perhaps it's time to find out what that reason is, and then I begin to point them towards the Savior of the world. Mary recognizes that this is why she's been put on this earth. I am a servant of the Lord. I'm to do his will. What greater favor could he bestow upon me than to allow me to be part of his story? One more verse from the Magnificat, verse 53. I love what Mary says, especially in light of this proposition that's, that's been given to her of, of what might be in her future of, of not having a husband or not being taken care of by human standards. What does she say? He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. See, Mary's God is not gain. Mary's God is not health, wealth, and a good name. Mary's, Mary's hungry for something else. Mary wants something different than so many of us want. And that's what makes her available to God. She wants the favor of the Lord. She wants to be part of his story more than she wants any other thing. Because her health is about to be put in jeopardy. Her wealth or her financial stability is about to be put in jeopardy. Her ease of life is certainly about to be put in jeopardy. And her good name is about to be dragged through the mud. What does she have except to be part of his story? That's what makes you available to God. See, that's a mindset that many of us, if we're being honest with ourselves, we don't have as it stands today. But maybe we can pray for it before the end of our time together. Now, there's another actor in this play, someone else whom God needs. God needed Mary because she was a virgin who believed and was willing to have her life turned upside down. The child was to be holy. The Son of God was not to come by natural means. He needed somebody who was willing to risk health, wealth, ease of life, and a good name, and Mary was willing. But he needs one more thing. He needs somebody who will adopt this child and bring this son into the line of David. Because he had promised David that his Messiah would come in his line. He's going to need someone who believes the angel and believes Mary. 
Would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 and following? Let's see the other actor in this play and look at his obedience. Verse 18 of Matthew chapter 1. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Joseph is introduced to something that would strike at the heart and the pride of any man in history. That woman, who you are betrothed to, is carrying a baby. You have not yet been together, and that baby's not yours. And so Joseph does what most men do when presented with something that they're not happy about. They make a plan. And Joseph's plan is a plan he thinks will be good for everybody involved. I can't marry Mary. I don't know whose child that is. I can't be with her. So I'm going to divorce her. They hadn't yet lived together. This is a different culture with different customs. I have to divorce her because we are betrothed. But I'm not going to make it public. If he had made it public, certainly her good name had no chance. If he had made it public, certainly her ease of life had no chance. If he had made it public, some believe that he might have even been putting her health in danger. So he does what a righteous man would do, what a good guy would do. He's probably very upset, very emotional, but he's not going to try to harm her because his pride has been wounded. So he makes a plan, I'll divorce her quietly, and we'll all move on. Her family can make whatever arrangements they need to make to shield her from this, but I'm not going to be part of it. He's trying to make the best of a good situation or a bad situation, except it's not the best because it's not the purpose of the Lord. The purpose of the Lord is that someone in the line of David would accept the miraculous son of God as his own and name him. Because when you name a child in this culture, you claim a child in this culture. And that would, by all legal rights, bring Jesus into the line of King David, the man after God's own heart. God needed a righteous man who was more interested in obedience than his plan and his pride to name that child in order to bring about his purposes. But that's not the plan of Joseph. It reminds me of Proverbs 19.21 that says, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. The purpose of the Lord is not going to be brought about if Joseph doesn't do what the angel commands him. 
Folks, I don't think there is any greater impediment to God's purpose than the plans and pride of man. Good thing Joseph was a righteous man because he's going to have to lay down his plans and lay down his pride. The angel comes to him, and there's no gracious words. Greetings to you, O favored one. Nothing like that. Just Joseph, you're a descendant of David, remember? Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. It's true. This child is from the Holy Spirit. Here's the thing. Take her as your wife. She will bear a son. Oh, biting words, cutting words. You see, Elizabeth is going to bear Zechariah a son, but Mary is just going to bear a son. Not Joseph's son. Bear a son. And you need to name him and bring him into your line. No gracious words. Leave the plans for your life at the door. Leave your expectations at the door. Leave that wedding and marriage thing that you had planned at the door. In fact, your future wife will have a child before you ever know her as your wife. And leave your pride at the door too. Because people in the village can count. They'll either think you lack all self-control or even worse that Mary's gone out on you. Men, us planners, us trigonometry doing, postulate A, postulate B, postulate C, conclusion, guys. Maybe the angel just didn't want to insult him by saying you who are highly favored. Because he would, he, he would have had every eventuality playing out in his mind before he ever got there. No, that's not good. 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 This isn't good. But what does Joseph do? He wakes up. He lays aside his plans, which, men, this can be one of the hardest things for us to do. Lays aside his plan for his life. Lays down his pride. He takes Mary as his wife. He does not exercise his marital rights. And he names the child and says, he belongs to me. God needed a faithful man, a righteous man, to lay down his plans and his pride to do what God needed him to do. Folks, we live in a day and age where we want to serve God so long as it's convenient. We, we want to do good things for God so that we can look back one day when we stand in eternity and said, my life mattered. I didn't store up for myself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. I stored up for myself treasures in heaven. I did what I was called to do on this earth. The problem for us is we're waiting for the perfect set of circumstances to do the will of God. And they're not going to come. To do the will of God, you will be inconvenienced. To do the will of God, it will cost you more than you anticipated. To do the will of God, it will strike and destroy your plan. And I certainly will tell you that it will lay low your pride. And that's how God's will gets done. People that recognize, I'm a servant of the Lord, and the greatest thing that he could do for me is to use me for his good purpose. People who are willing to lay down their pride and their plan to say, you know what? Your plan is better, even if it makes me look like a jerk. 
or do it. Is our heart in the right place today to join God in his story? Or are we still holding on to favor being health, wealth, ease of life, and a good name? Or do we recognize what the Bible truly teaches? That to do the will of God is not easy, but to do what is right is what's best. Kind of evaluate our hearts today. Let me give you plan A and let me give you plan B. Plan A is this. You can walk through this life and be financially stable. You can have some great vacations. You can have a good name at work. You can enjoy your kids and their sports or their drama or their music or their dance. You can one day hold your grandbabies and you'll live long enough and have good enough health to do it. But you'll never do anything for God in this kingdom. Choice A. Choice B, let's just say this. And this is, these are not, this is not like, this is not like everything always works out this way. I'm just saying, if this was choice A and this was choice B, you can live paycheck to paycheck. Some of your neighbors and coworkers will think you're weird because you're one of them Jesus people. Every vacation, if you can actually afford one, could only be called a budget vacation. Your, your kids don't excel at softball or baseball or basketball. But many people come to know Christ Jesus as their Savior and will spend eternity with him because your family made sacrifices to bring that about. What's the blessed life? What's the favorable life? You know, so, so, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with having some money. In fact, thank God for the people that God has blessed that support God's ministries throughout the world. Thank God for those people. And I'm not saying that living paycheck to paycheck is really a sign of God's favor because, you know, it's all right to be broke, but we shouldn't be living poor, you know? Not using God's principles to live out our life and, and, and be solvent. What I'm saying is this, if we could have the best the world has to offer, or we could suffer a little bit and have the best God it has to offer, what would you choose? I mean, let's strike at the heart of it for you parents. Let's get, let's get right to the, to the matter at hand. Your kids could never want for anything for a day of their entire life, or they could suffer for Jesus and be a missionary have a rough time of it, but many people come to know Christ, what would you choose for them? Do you want the favor of the Lord for them? Or do you want your plan, your pride, and the best the world has to offer, and that's what God gives them? Folks, don't wait to abandon your plan and your pride till you're advanced in years. Because I see it. I see it all the time. People getting into their 70s and 80s going, oh, boy, missed opportunity after missed opportunity after missed opportunity. But now I'm closer to eternity than ever, and I never got in the game, so I'm going to fight to get in the game now. I got to get in the game now. I got to change what I think blessing is now. I got to sacrifice now. And, folks, you don't got to wait that long. You don't have to wait that long. 
Now, I don't know if any of you had an angel come to you in a dream last night. And you might be saying to yourself, you know what, it's really easy to do God's will when an angel comes to you. No one's asking you to conceive the Son of God in your womb today. Maybe an angel was necessary. But God's asking you to do things today. And he'll ask you to do things tomorrow. He'll put promptings in your spirit. No angel required. Because you have the entire word of God sitting there for you. And it's useful for teaching, correcting, reproofing, and training in righteousness that the man or woman of God may be equipped for every good work. So it's there for you already to prompt you and to lead you to do what is good and right, but it's going to take some sacrifice. It's going to take laying down your plans and your pride. What if they think I'm a weirdo? Okay. Don't worry, you're a weirdo already. be operating in confirmation bias for them what if that means that i don't get to to do the best by someone in my family or by my kids financially but i get to do the the work of god over here do the work of god over here what if what if i invite those lonely people to my family christmas celebration and they totally mess up the culture and atmosphere they do what if I invite somebody to church because they have no hope and they don't come and this gets weird see the risks that we take for God they're so minuscule yet God I'm not available to you the circumstances aren't right God I can't obey that's in the way of my plan God, I won't do that. That'll strike at my pride. Let's be people who get in the game. Let's be people who get in the game. Get in the game. Whatever it takes. Once you're in, it's fabulous. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For one day you'll be able to look back at your life and say, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. I got to do the will of the Lord in my season of life. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, I pray for your people today. You've always needed obedience from your people, always needed those to be available to you and trust you in faith for your work to get done. Whether you were saying to Abraham, leave your father's house and your kindred, and go to the place I will show you. Or you were saying to Mary, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Now your life is turned upside down for me. You're still writing this story, Lord. The story of your people and your church. So many of us are closed to you today. We don't want to take any risks. We can't endanger our plan. Can't get over our pride. Oh, Lord, would you help us with that today? Would we 
choose the favor of the Lord over the best the world has to offer. If the Lord's been speaking to you today and you know that you need to pray, you need to make a commitment before the Lord, I just want you to take a moment to do that. It is the season to be obedient and available to God. God has a work for you to do, one that you may have been ignoring or running from. He's touching your heart today. So in this moment of quiet, would you make things right with him? Do what you need to do in prayer to be available and obedient. Just for a moment, let's make this place a house of prayer. Father God, we thank you for Jesus, that he's come to save wayward men and women, steeped in rebellion and sin, pride. We thank you for Jesus. And Lord, we also thank you today for the heroes of the faith, the great cloud of witnesses who go before us, who had faith in your word and sacrificed greatly to become part of your plan. I pray, Lord, that we would follow their example, that we would be faithful in our time to the word of the Lord, that many people would come to know Jesus because of the work you've done through us, and that, Lord, we'd recognize today that life is but a vapor, but it is eternity eternity that lasts forever. Remind us of these things today and the reasons you sent your son to earth and allow us to be the people you've called us to be. We ask these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. If you're able, would you stand today? Lots going on this Christmas season. I'm told next week that we'll have a visit from the shepherds. We'll see what happens. Not quite sure what's going to take place on this stage, but really a great time to be inviting family and friends to be a part of everything going on here at BLC. And of course, as you were told a little bit earlier this morning, if you have a desire to uh, bless some of our missionaries this Christmas season, you have the opportunity to do that. God, go with your people, we pray. Bless them and keep them, that they may do everything that you've called them to do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.